Okay. Well, hi everybody. You took a little break, you fixed your plates, and I hope everyone's happy with food and you have what you need. So, so we're continuing with discovery, and I believe that this is the third class, mm -hmm. the third discovery meeting, and so this one is on the sacraments. And uh, if you heard about the sacraments, some of you might, you know everything about them, and I'm glad you're here too. And some of you might be going, the what? And that's okay too. So, you know, we're, we're all here together with, with those different things. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that, that we're doing in Discovery that they already told you is that we're trying to hit some of the major things that you may have heard about the Episcopal Church. And just to at least give you at least enough information that will hope, hopefully whet your appetite and you can go to Google and get more. So, <laughs> or go somewhere and get more. So, um, all right, so we're gonna start with the basics. And uh, the word sacramentality, I'll, I'll go back. The word sacramentality. So that's a Latin word, sacramentum, is a trans, uh, the Latin word sacramentum is a translation of the Greek word, mysterion. So either can be translated simply as mystery, and when the language of the early Christian church changed, from Greek to Latin, mysterium was sometimes translated as a Latin word, sacramentum. And it is in this word that we find the biblical roots of the word sacrament. So we have the, sev the seven sacraments of the church, baptism, confirmation, holy Eucharist, which, which is what we just did tonight, anointing of the sick, reconciliation or confession, in the Episcopal Church, we use the word reconciliation, uh, marriage, and holy orders. And we're going to come back to those momentarily. So, um, sacramentality is the principle that says everything in creation, people, movements, places, the environment, and the cosmos itself can reveal God. So, recognizing outward manifestation of things unseen that take place within us or in the world around us. So in other words, understanding there's more, there's more there than meets the eye. So tonight we had, we had bread and we had wine. And you're thinking, what's the big deal, bread and wine? And you didn't even get very much wine. So you know, so you might probably think, gosh, you know, but, but the thing is that there is more there than meets the eye and that and that in the Episcopal Church, and I'll be getting into that even more, that we really do believe in the mystery of, of feeling like God is moving as we are partaking of this bread and this wine. And please, anytime, just stop me with questions, or a question. So God's reign among us, so, so what's going on? So we have the language of God's kingdom that leads us to think in spatial and temporal categories. So. God, God's rule governs all space, time, so the reign of God might be more appropriate to say rather than God's rule. In other words, God is in charge. That's what we're saying. So what do, why does it matter? Because sacraments help us to see the reign and rule of God among us. And basically, we're, we're acting out to ourselves and to everybody else here what we believe. You know, so sacraments are inbreaking of God's reign into our spatial and temporal existence. Sacraments are a way within our very space 
here, you know, the way we are showing that we believe that God does reign. So um, it's the principle, sacramentality is the principle that says everything in creation, people, movements, places, the environment, and the cosmos itself can reveal God. And you can hear me, hear me say something like that several times. And I really forgot to mention, too, that uh, we're having someone else to come and speak when she gets here to share near the end, uh, Susan McDonald Bray is going to talk about what the sacraments mean to her. So I forgot to tell you that. So under this, under this principle, the division between sacred and secular is erased. Everything is sacred. <clears throat> Everything is sacred and, uh, because all comes from the, from the creator. So, you know, I know that it does feel like some places or some things are more sacred than others. For example, I sometimes feel like there are some Sundays that I feel like they really should have like shoe racks out in the narthex because I feel like, I, I just feel that the presence of God is so thick that we should all be barefoot when we walk into the church. But I don't think that they would do that. I don't know, S Susan is the junior warden maybe. <laughs> But you know, but sometimes you feel that way. Yeah. I don't know how how Asher feels in the choir up in the choir stand, you know. Or you, so if you feel that, wow, this is really a holy space because you're even closer to the altar than other people. But I don't know. But sometimes you feel that. I mean, I've been in the the last. Um, I don't know if it's the last session or not, or if somewhere within the session you're going to have uh, the the instructed Eucharist, and. You know, Father John likes for people to come on up to the altar and come around, and he always has to kind of beg people to come up because you're kind of like, am I really supposed to be up here? And the answer is yes, but you have to take your shoes off. No, no, please. <laughs> so don't, <laughs> don't tell him I told you that, <laughs> you know. But, but, you know, but you feel that way sometimes. So that's, so that's something that is, is stone or something that, that is very, very concrete in, in our space. But yet, mysteriously, we feel a holy presence. So sacraments according to the church. And this is what the Book of Common Prayer says to us. And this is what everybody, you hear this, and you think, what does this mean? An outward and visible sign of inward and spiritual grace given by Christ as sure and certain means by which we receive grace. So what's, what's the sacramental sign? Visible substances and actions revealing invisible sacred realities. The bread and the wine in those little cups. Those little cups that people really dislike, by the way. You know, but yet, it's still, it's still it's a, it's a very material thing that becomes a sacred reality. And what is grace? God's love freely given. And I, like to, I learned once somewhere, uh, grace can be an acronym. God's resources at Christ's expense. So it's not something that we earn, it's not something that we can really work hard to get, but it's something that we are freely given. So ask yourself, have you encountered the reign of God through one of the official sacraments? There's something just to pause and ponder. And we'll have time to even discuss that in, even more as we go. I see that, I see Zach's eyebrows raising up. <laughs> <clears throat> so 
So we can have an experience of the divine in the human, the creator in the creation, grace in nature, the spiritual in the material, eternity in history, the sacred in the ordinary. So in thinking about any, anyone can think of seeing or experiencing the sacred in something ordinary, besides what we just did here tonight. Has anyone ever, has anyone ever experienced that in church or had any experiences like that? In church or in the world? In church and the world, yeah. Something that is ordinary, but it, but it becomes sacred because of a mystery, yeah. Yes, uh-huh. Are we, this is all on, I guess we need to speak into this. Um, I have, as I've become more attentive to w what's around me and things like that, and, and in those times in, in developing that, there's a sense sometimes that when thing, something happens, it may be just a glimmer of, of light or this or that or whatever, you have this sense of the holy around you, a, a person, um, a, a flash of movement, some, you know, uh, it, it could be just the most mundane thing, but the sense in which, you know, the realization that we live and move and have our being mm -hmm. in God, and that God is around us, and that, but it never, never overwhelming us, mm -hmm. and um, certainly I experienced it in church with the sacraments and things, but also you know, just in, in ordinary life, some days more than others. Thank you. Yeah. So the church celebrates certain rituals that make the saving presence of God tangible to us in different ways. And they are wonderful moments of encounters with God that can deeply affect our lives. <coughs> So once again, looking at the seven, the seven sacraments, which we, which we looked at already on one of the slides. So these two here, baptism and Eucharist. Scripture says that these are not, that these are not uh, optional. So in other words, so, so baptism is kind of looked at as, not kind of, but it is the initiation, you know, um, or the primary ordination. And Eucharist is celebrating Jesus' presence. So beyond sacramentality as a general concept, the Episcopal Church recognizes, like I said, the seven sacraments that confer grace. So and I already named them, I'll name them again. Baptism, confirmation, holy communion, confession, marriage, holy orders, and the anointing of the sick are the life of the Episcopal Church. So additionally, objects, words, or ceremonies used in conjunction with the sacraments which, and which confer holiness are known as the sacramentals. The bread and the wine are sacramentals. So when a priest blesses an object, such as giving a blessing upon the dedication of a church or upon holy oils and vestments or upon the bread and the wine, the blessed object is sanctified and becomes a sacramental. It doesn't change, nothing magic happens. 
but it's one of those mysteries that believing that, yes, the presence of God is here. Anybody ever wonder about that? So like I said, that these two are not optional. Now, does that mean you get kicked out of church if you don't do them? No, you know, not in the Episcopal church. But this is something that, that Jesus has said that we are to do or that, or that we are asked to do. And that, um, like I said, baptism and the Eucharist. Now baptism, now some of you may be from uh, traditions where baptism is, looks different. Baptism is not like we do it in the Episcopal Church. You know, we have the, they have that cute little shell there and then the water is poured over the head of the baby or the adult, whoever is being baptized. And I'm from a tradition where there was a baptismal pool and you went, you went down in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know. And, and you know, you were dunked under and, and, and you came and you came back up. Or either it, was, it could be in the baptism pool in the church or in a lake. My, my daughter was, was baptized at Shawnee Mission Lake. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and I see, I see <laughs> Asher's going, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know, I know Asher's background too. And I also saw you nodding your head, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're, we're called, uh, you know, to experience the water at baptism. And so I didn't have a problem, you know, about, some people call it sprinkling, but they actually poured the water over the, over, you know, uh, over the head of the baby. And if the baby is squirming over the head of the baby and the baby's hat and the baby's clothes and, and the priest, by the way, that happens sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. So the other sacraments, confirmation, anointing of the sick, reconciliation or confession, marriage, and holy orders. Now, and they're, and, oh, and they're known as the secondary, uh, at the secondary ones, uh, the five secondary or ecclesiastical sacraments. Now, um, the Episcopal Church does do confessions. Is, is there anybody here gasping, going, what? <laughs> yeah, I was here for quite some time in the Episcopal Church, and I didn't, I didn't know that. Now, is there a confessional over at St. Andrews? No, there's not. And the way it's done, if you want to know, is that if someone does want to, want to meet with the priest, to, uh, to do a confession or to go through the sacrament of reconciliation, because that's what's going on, you know. It, then um, at St. Andrews, you, you would call and make an appointment with the priest. And then you would meet with the priest in their office. Some people want to do it in the chapel, you know, and sometimes you might be, the only thing about that is that our chapel isn't closed off and so there might be someone else <laughs> practicing the organ or, someone, or something. But it does happen, yeah, yeah. So just to let you know that if that's something that, that you're feeling like, like you would like to do, that's the way you do it, and that's not unusual. Um, now, are people lined up to do confessions at St. Andrews? No, you know, but, but, they, but it is available, and any priest can hear, can hear a confession. There is one, I believe only one, there's one Episcopal church in, in, in the, the city that does have a confessional. And I know that people here are thinking that it's St. Mary's, but it's not. St. <laughs> Mary's does not have a confessional. It's St. Augustine's. 
you know, they have it. Yeah, I was there for quite some time when I was doing my internship, and I finally said, "What's this door?" And <laughs> they opened. I said, "Well, really?" And so they have it with the screen and everything. It's it's just very, very interesting. Yeah. And Father Chaz said that some people want to use the confessional, and then some people, you know, prefer to meet with him in his office. So it's just it's one of those things that happens in the Episcopal Church. Things are not normal in the Episcopal Church, are they? You know? Yeah, yeah. Yes? I'd just like to say one. Is it on? Yeah. I just wanted to say one thing about reconciliation or or confession. Um, I've only done it once, but I would highly recommend it to anyone who's just having trouble getting over something they've done. You know, they just can't forgive themselves for it. It just haunts them, haunts them, haunts them. Do this. It's it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, so I was having trouble forgiving myself for something, and I talked to the priest, and, you know, he said, well, tell me what happened. And I went through the whole story, and I said, I feel so terrible because I committed this sin. And he looked at me, and he said, I think you're a little confused about exactly which sin you committed. (laughs) And that led into this wonderful conversation that finally made me be able to put it, to understand it so I could put it to rest. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend it. Thanks. Thanks, Susan, for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. So the mysterious and hidden presence of God. God revealing God's self to us through other people, events, objects, the world, and the universe around us. And you know, when I talk about the mystery, you know, some, this is what I call a mystery. Especially when I first started attending the Episcopal Church. Ho- Holy Eucharist, and it still, it means a lot to me. And it meant a lot to me then because that's not what I experienced. I experienced uh, you know, the communion at our church was mm, maybe once a month, maybe, but, and, and it was, um, well, we have little cups now, but it was little cups with grape juice, and they would just kind of pass down the aisle, and then the little um, individual um, wafers, crackers, you know, that you kind of picked up, and, and then, then someone would say a prayer, and then we'd all eat together, you know, and so I, I'm not too sure if I knew what was going on, but if you, if you listen during communion, and I know that the priest is going on and on about something, and you, and you, and you know, and, and St. Saint and Saint Andrews is, is printed in the bulletin, you know, but if you really pay attention, the story is being told again. The same story every Sunday is being told, you know, and Jesus ends up saying, this is my body that is given for you, you know. Do this in remembrance of me. So we hear the same story each time. And the thing is, is that I used to experience chills. At the time of breaking of the bread, I would get chills. And one time I said to the other, the, a staff, one of the other priests who was here at this time, and very young priest, and I said to him, I said, Father Marcus, I said, I get chills during communion. Do you think that'll ever stop? And he said, I hope not, Rita. You know, and it was a good answer. And for a while, you know, I haven't been a priest long, and the chills have stopped because I was so worried about doing stuff right. You know, you know how you do, and I had to get over that. And now I'm just once again experiencing the presence—not all the time chills, 
but experiencing what I call the presence. And sometimes my experience of the presence of God are spontaneous tears. And I asked Mother Anne's permission to tell you this story. And this was just a few months ago. Mother Anne was celebrating communion. And, you know, we were, I was standing on one side of the altar and uh, probably Mother Jean was on the other side because this happened when Father John was on sabbatical. So Mother Anne was just going through just the celebration of communion. And suddenly as she was reading, a tear came down. And, you know, I thought maybe her eye was running, you know, or something like that. But she, she said later, she said, I don't know what came over me. You know, I just, and she said just suddenly she just felt it. And, and a tear came. And so I talked to her the other night. I said, do you remember that? I said, can I share that when I talk about the sacraments? And she said, yeah, please do. So I just wanted to, if, if you are experiencing something like that, whether it's communion or seeing a baby be baptized or, you know, something else that is going on, you just stop for a moment and just relish the presence of God. You know, you, I, I, I say you have been blessed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, there, for quite some time, after the fact, I would look back and go, oh, yeah, that's what that was about. But you can just stop for a moment and just relish that. Yeah. Any questions or comments about that? So we're going to go into what makes a sacrament a sacrament. And we've kind of talked about that some, but I haven't used these words. Form, matter, and intention. So the form is the rite or the ceremony. So even though, even though communion here is very abbreviated, it's pretty informal, it's still a form. It's, it's still a ceremony that's going on. And the matter is the material from creation, or that's the outward and visible sign. And the intention it's both from the minister and from the Holy Spirit. So that's what's going on. I wanted to re share with you something, but that was just before I think Susan comes. Let me get to my right readings here. I want to share with you a quote. I think things are kind of out of place because I thought my, my person would be here. But I want to share with you a quote. Um, by Christine Walters Painter. And she's on the website. This is a, re a website that I love, and it's called abbeyofthearts.com. And um, so this provides this, in she provides this insight to the word sacramental and to the form and, and the matter and the intention. So this sense of sacramentality extends our vision out to the world so that everything can be a sacrament. So we're talking about bread, we're talking about wine, and, you know, but soon when Susan gets here, we're going to talk about other things that can be a sacrament. And uh, it extends our vision out to the world so that everything can be a sacrament, meaning every person, creature, plant, and object can be an opportunity to encounter something of the divine presence in the world. Sacramentality is a quality presence in creation that opens us up to the sacred presence in all things. So once again, sacraments reveal grace. So let's make a sacrament. So we have baptism, and we have Eucharist, we have confirmation. 
So, and, and I'm already, I'm, I'm not doing this right because I'm pushing the <laughs> wrong buttons. But, so with baptism, what's the, what is the matter? Not what's the matter. <laughs> water. Yes, yeah. Go ahead, say that again. And say it into the, yeah. Yes. Water and oil. Water and the whale. Oil. 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 Thank you. And yeah. baptism. Yes, that is right. And you have a good memory because the person is anointed with holy oil at the end of baptism. Yes. Yes. In Jonah's case, the whale was the matter too, though. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yes, thank you. <laughs> and the intention. What's the intention of of holy baptism? Of, of baptism. Okay. Right, symbolism, right. And you're talking without the mic, so. She said new life. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. So, Eucharist. So what's the matter in Eucharist? I've been talking about it. Bread and wine. Yes. That one keeps going off. She said bread and wine. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Yeah. Thank you for being our interpreter, Zach. <laughs> and what's the intention? What's the intention? Or what's the outward and visible sign? <laughs> the presence of Christ. Okay. The presence of, to it, and to experience the presence of Christ, even. In yes. Us. Yes. In us? Yes. Yeah. Did you want to say what she said? No, never mind. Susan said, in us. <laughs> and how about confirmation? So, so confirm, and I didn't, I just kind of read through it. I'm sorry I didn't explain. Confirmation, and some of you are going to be confirmed if you decide that that's what you want to do. So after going through these classes, and you know, as 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 young teenagers, we have we have we have classes, confirmation classes, and then the being confirmed is when the bishop would actually would lay hands on you, and, and because you are making a state. Well, I'm, I'm I'm giving the answers here. Yeah. So, what's what is the matter in confirmation? The bishop's hands. Laying on of hands, yes. Anything else? Any other matter in confirmation? Is, oh, go ahead. Is anointing oil used at all during confirmation? Yes. Yeah. Thank you for remembering that. Yes. And the intention. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, joining up basically yeah 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 when when I was and so there's confirmation and some people because they've been members of, an, of another church or they were baptized in other traditions they are received so some of you if you know depending on what your decision is some people go through discovery class and go you know I'm just gonna go to church I, I don't want to do anything else then other people do other stuff like joining or and, and being confirmed and so I was received and it was funny because we, there was a, I, I was in the, at that time they were doing like these, uh, the big gatherings of people being confirmed at the cathedrals. So there were people from some multiple churches. So on our row I was sitting right in front of 
of uh, someone who was in, my, in our class, just like you all, you're going through this together, so we were all, so after I, the bishop had laid hands on me and, and I had been received and I was on my way back to the, to my, to the seat, you know, Mitch leans forward and said, Rita, we're in, you know, so. <laughs> so that's the intention <laughs> to be in. Yeah, he was, he's a stitch, yeah. Okay, let me get, let me see, let me get to my next slide here. Well, what did I do? Those are the answers. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I see, you're right. Those are the, thank you very much. Those are the answers. So, and I'm forgetting that the answers were there. I, was, I just was looking at the questions. So did we get them right? Yeah. Well, we didn't say that the intention for confirmation. Yeah, somebody said joining up. That's true. But empowerment for ministry. Um, yes. Do you believe that? I don't know. You can. You can always minister to people whether you've been whether you're in uh, a, a, any particular religious community or not. Yes, yes. Because baptism is the first ordination. He said baptism is the first ordination. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know something that we didn't say these exact words with, ba with baptism. Uh, the intention, new life in Christ. Gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is which is also very interesting that they that they worked it there, and cleansing of sins. So, like they used to explain in our church, your sins are not the water doesn't cleanse you of sins. You know, if you're sinful and you're baptized and you come up, you come up out of the water a, a wet sinner. That's what that's what they used to say. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think people can tell that I was where where I came from, but <laughs> but basically, you know. You are, you are being baptized because you have received Christ and because you do have the intention to live a, to live a, a new life. So it is an outward sign to the world, you know. Any questions about these? What does Wayne Brady have to do with it? Well, because, <laughs> <laughs> because the beginning, that's it, what the, the, the first slide said, so let's make a deal, you know. Yeah, so we're going through these, yeah. But I thought that it was good to have him there. That was the laying out of hands. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or I'm sorry, let's make a sacrament, not let's make a deal. See there? Let's make a sacrament is what, we're, is what this section is. So let's make a deal is the thing. So holy matrimony. What's the matter and what's the intention? What's the matter in holy matrimony? I'm sure there are plenty. <laughs> <laughs> there are. You know, there's got to be a different way that... There has to be a different way to ask that question. <laughs> what is the present matter in holy matrimony? Ah, I heard it. The rings. Yes. Yeah, the rings. Right. And the intention, of course? To become one. Is to be married, yes. He said to become okay. one. <laughs> Boy, we, we. we. That's why I got married. <laughs> Okay, holy orders or ordination. And you know, in, in the Episcopal Church, you're ordained as a priest or you're, you're ordained as a deacon. That would be oil again, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Anointing? Yes. And in this case, uh, vesture, correct? Yes, and the vestments, yes, you're right. Yeah. So if you haven't been to an ordination in the Episcopal Church, keep your ears open and attend one. 
I have said, I, I, I don't think there's anything like it, you know. So, yeah, it's very beautiful. Yeah. I have a question about the oil. Yes. Why is oil used so much in these different sacraments? Like, what was the reasoning behind that choice? That's a good question. Can I and I'm guessing from you, a long ago. You, you, but. you see I'm looking at you? Yeah. Did you have an answer for that? I mean, I've got an answer for everything. Yeah, yes. Josh. It's a real question. Josh, yeah. You know, I... I Realistically, if you're looking at this historically rather than through the story of Christianity, mm -hmm. you know, oil is, was just something that was very valuable, that was something that was used in pre Christian cultures, and it was continued and kind of, uh, you know, used as a sacramental. It was blessed for that purpose. So it's not unique to the Christian history. Right, right. But uh, oil, first of all, the, the oil that, that we use has been, has been um, blessed or consecrated by, by the bishop. And so there's a chrism mass and it's during Holy Week, and uh, we, we tended, and they have big vats of oil, and there's, there's the blessing of the oil, and then there's a, a group who will, will put the oil in, in bottles, and then you go back and you get the however many your church would need. And so it is blessed oil. And there are some traditions that the oil is blessed if you pray over it and you bless it, and not necessarily wait for a bishop. So there, there's other church traditions do it different ways. Yeah, but it's, 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 it's very simple. It's not, not so much that something happens. You know, the, the, um, the daily office reading today, uh, um, the prophet Nahum, I think, you know, was told to go and pour oil over the head of somebody who was called, who, who they had decided, who, who God had said was going to be the new king of Israel. So anointing has happened, just like Josh said, for so many reasons. So they don't do the oil you know, these days the way they did, because then they poured, they poured oil over them, and, and oil was running down the vestments and, and all over them. And so we don't quite do that today. Yeah. Yeah. Does that help? Does that kind of yeah. give you a little bit of an it's answer? Curious, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's a good question. Why in the world are they doing this? Uh-huh. <coughs> uh, yeah. Uh, just being was raised Jewish, like uh, the whole, the Hanukkah story, mm -hmm. the oil, I think oil is supposed to represent the light because the, I remember that they, did, they had oil for one day, but it lasted for the eight days, so oil is supposed to uh, represent light because mm -hmm. it burns. Okay. And then also I was gonna make a joke too, like it, uh, maybe it's supposed to help reduce the friction. <laughs> Makes you wanna get some WD-40 yeah, while we're at it. Sometimes, sometimes some of the stuff that was, that's done, you know, now as a part of the ceremony, there were very practical reasons, you know, for it. So who knows? Who when knows? when I think of the oil, I think of the story of the woman bringing the oil and and pouring it over Jesus, and somebody was upset about that mm -hmm. and said, you know, that oil's worth a lot of money and it could be used to feed the homeless. Right. And Jesus said something that comes up from time to time in meetings that I am in, and he said that the homeless will always be with you, yeah. but I am just here for a short time. And I think that's a really powerful, symbolic story of the oil being used to, to yes. bless Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So, and the next one, with, with, one, one of the things that we've had discussion about, the reconciliation mm -hmm. of, a, of a penitent or in, a person who is going for conf confession. What is the matter in this? Once again, it's, the, yeah, yeah, the person can be anointed with oil or the laying on of hands. Anything else? And the intention? 
just like Susan just yes yeah reconciliation of God a big weight being lifted off your shoulders what Susan just shared with us so the unction of the sick or praying for the sick the matter once again is here we go again it's oil more oil right right yeah and the intention healing and comfort healing and comfort and I like that thank you yeah Sometimes people are just comforted because you, you have prayed for them. Yeah, yeah. So we've already uh, given our answers here. I think we got them all right. Uh, holy orders, the intention uh, setting apart for ministry. Well, that's it, you know, and, and I, I didn't review these. Uh, the reconciliation of a penitent, it says the matter is speaking one's contrition for failures. Basically, basically saying out loud what it is that you've done, which we find from what Susan's story is important because you might end up being told that, you know, that's, uh, that's not the sin, you know? So, yeah. And I bet Susan felt better. Yeah. It, it wasn't that I didn't sin. It was that I was confused about what my uh, About what your sin was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was trying to get you off the hook there, you know? <laughs> so the unction... Not only the oil, but the laying on of hands. Yeah. And then the healing in deepest possible sense. Mind, body, spirit, ultimate. Which is the comfort. I love the way you, you worded that. Mm-hmm. Healing and comfort. Yeah. So, um, and this is, I believe, is the, is the last, is next to the last slide, and then Susan's going to come. Uh, sacramental living. Jesus' Jesus's teaching often includes language like, those who have eyes to see, let them see. And a sacramental perspective teaches us how to see beyond the present reality and into God's deeper reality. So in talking about what is one sacrament in your day-to-day life, what is something that isn't a sacrament but could be in, in church and out of church, and with those questions, I am turning it over to Susan, and she's going to kind of take us in that direction. This is Susan McDonald Bray, and she is a retired conservationist. And Susan's going to share with us how something very, very natural, you know, is sacramental to her. Do you want to sit down here? Are you okay? Do I need a mic? Yes, you do. <laughs> here. Did you want this one? You want this one? Just put it on your ear, or you can hold it. Does that work? All right. Oh, it's okay. I just you can put that on your waist if you want to. Yeah, walk I just had it sitting there. Yeah, I might walk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I missed uh, Mother Rita's beginning, but um, last time I did this with her, it turned out we. We're kind of thinking along the same lines, and um, she had asked me to help her out with how nature is sacrament for me. And um, in preparing for that, I thought of three words to kind of guide me through talking about it. And the first one was mystery. (laughs) And the second word was discovery. And the third word was study. Um, And that's, that's kind of what 
my life path has taken me with nature. Um, to begin with, kind of way back in childhood, um, nature was always a, a safe place to me. Um, it was also um, a place where I found God because going to church was very confusing. My father and mother went to two different, very fundamentally uh, different philosophies about religion, and they would send us one day, one, not one day, but one year. Um, I started out kindergarten Sunday school in the Unitarian Universalist Church, and then uh, the next year Sunday school was uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, where my mother <laughs> was a preacher's kid <laughs> and so you know it was one year at a time back and forth back and forth back and forth so I was always trying to figure out where I belonged the best place was outside <laughs> it um, it kind of early on started me feeling like that was a place to talk to God and it was also um, a place where I could continue to hear God and to um, uh, learn from nature. It, and to me, later in life, as I pursued studies in um, environmental science and biology, um, the things that I learned kind of helped me make uh, those connections even more to the point that just recently, I told um, Keith Johnson, who's studying for clergy now, that um, I could write a parable that says, God is like a healthy ecosystem because it's a place where all the connections are so important one to another. You, you don't have, in a healthy ecosystem, there's no one species that's going to um, rule it all, even though we kind of read that in our um, Bible stories about uh, having dominion over the earth. In a healthy ecosystem, we're all balanced. Um, it goes back to John Muir's quote, if you tug at one strand of the spider web, everything else is shaken and everything else is affected. And the way of looking at it that way I look at um, us all kind of being on an equal plane with other creatures no matter if they're butterflies bees and moths or if they're you know like what I learned in younger life the the king of the forest the grizzly bear or whatever we all we have to have all of it in balance for it to be healthy and um, I just, I consider, I continue to see a lot of lessons in that as I spend time in nature and uh, study more about nature and um, kind of see the parables of um, nature kind of going back to spirit, uh, to God's, um, God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Um, I see it in nature. And um, that led me on a, a journey um, to study it. 
uh, like people might study theology and become priests or deacons. I um, wanted to study nature. And kind of along the, the way, I found um, that my calling was going to be teaching about it. And um, as it turned out, my te teaching about it ended up not in a national park or state park or out in some wilderness area right here in the city. So I uh, spent a 32-year career with Kansas City Parks and Recreation teaching kids about nature. And um, it was all walks of life, the kids that I taught. I taught in inner city schools, I taught in rural schools, I taught in suburban schools, and I had kids that came to my place of teaching from all of those walks. Even um, kids that would be bused in from Leavenworth uh, military base that were going to school there and they would come to Swope Park and I'd teach them outdoors. So um, it just, it's kind of the way life worked out for me and that's where I landed and that's uh, what I did. And um, still continue to um, kind of see that as um, God's work in my life. And um, helping kids to know that there's something bigger in their life um, than what their world is. There's a huge world out here and there's a lot of different ways to learn about it and um, you know so that's that's what I did for a career and then in um, retirement uh, before I knew the journey I would be on <laughs> I um, decided I needed a project in retirement as a naturalist um, I decided to, to garden to help the monarch butterflies and um, that became a kind of a huge project. <laughs> and it also became, that garden and the project of doing it became a, um, a sanctuary for me in my world. Um, and that was really important. My, um, let's see, five years ago now, my husband was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so I cared for him at home for the first four years, and he's been in memory care uh, starting in February. And um, the garden was actually a place where both of us could be together. And for me, it was a healing place and a place I could do something other than <laughs> be caring for his needs. And for him, it was being outside, and he was watching me with everything I did so as, his, uh, as he became more limited, um, the garden was a, a safe place for both of us and a, a place where I could focus on something that I knew was a positive thing and would continue to grow. And um, that got us through pandemic <laughs> and Alzheimer's and um, uh, it continues to be a sanctuary for me. And I did a talk about that whole project. That was a, 
another talk that um, I have done here. And um, just recently another article was uh, published about that for an organization I'm part of called Missouri Master Naturalists. So um, it continues to bring me connections with people, even though I'm living this kind of very focused, um, isolated in a lot of ways life. Um, I'm still able to connect with people through this project of trying to create a healthy ecosystem in my suburban yard. And um, that continues in itself to bring me a lot of joy. And um, just the pleasure of seeing how if you help it out just a little bit, instead of trying to control nature, it's amazing what kind of life you see there. And um, it's all there. We just kind of need to help it along with um, all the scars that have been done to our land, even my suburban yard, which is <laughs> a mess um, as far as soil or anything else, all the things that have been done to it. So I look at it also as a project of healing. Um, I'm healing the scars in the land of my little plot of earth. And um, it also is a healing place for me and all that I'm um, struggling with to, to help my husband. And um, I, it just, that's what I uh, always go home to. It's like for me going home to the woods or the prairie or the mountains, wherever it is, that's, that's where I'm home. <laughs> and um, so now I'm trying to create that in my own yard. Um, so that, as far as the things that Mother Rita put together that say that's a sacrament, um, are there things you can pick out of my story that that say that? Like the uh, the thing that you touch, mm -hmm. the, the, s the soil, mm -hmm. the plants. Um, I don't use fertilizer. I don't use chemicals to try to kill anything because I'm trying to help the insects, not get rid of them. When I see a plant being chewed up, by caterpillars, to me that's a plus. That means it's food for somebody that's gonna carry life on. Um, is there something else? No, that's, that's great. Okay. Yeah. I, I would like to share a quote with you all that has stuck in my head <laughs> since um, The Color Purple came out as a book and then as a um, movie, and now I think it's coming out on Broadway too, or, I mean, or it has recently. And um, this is, it's just kind of this quote that's stuck in my head, but the context is, it's in the voice of Suge, if you remember the story, but you can see even, I think in the entrance, uh, the beginning or the ending of the film, you see these two little girls walking through a field of flowers, really tall flowers. And the words are, I think it pisses God off 
if you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. People think pleasing God is all God cares about, but any fool living in the world can see it always trying to please us back. <laughs> and um, what Alice Walker, the author, had to say about that is, it actually could be any color you don't notice. Anything, anything could be the color purple. It's a symbol. It speaks to our blindness about the wonder of this place. So that's the sacrament of nature in my world. Yeah. Susan, we were talking about not only the matter, but the intention of the sacraments. And when you were talking, you, you used the word the verb create as you were doing things. Would you say your intention was be to be a co-creator with God? Very much um, that uh, um, a co-creator, a facilitator of what God's work is, which is all around us, that we notice it, um, that um, I'm going to have a hand in helping that, not destroying it. So that, yeah, co-creation is a wonderful word to use. Co-creator, co-creating, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Susan, I appreciate you. You're welcome. I appreciate you driving from North City here. Safely, so that's really, that is it. I would challenge you to, um, Okay, she's dragging the mic. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and take it back there to Adam Deacon. I would I would challenge you as you go through your day, or as you go about your normal work, you know, to to notice what 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 is sacramental to you. You know, what is something common that you're realizing that you experience the, the mystery of God, the mystery of God's presence. So with that, I will close. Thank you very much. <laughs>